Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Love for enemies. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. Thank you, John. Right, we're just going to pray for Henry. Good to see you, Henry. Thank you. We'll pray for you. Father God, thank you for Henry. Thank you for um, our, our leader here uh, at St. Barnabas Church. Father, I pray now, would you um, strengthen him, Lord, and would you give him the words to speak? Father, would you uh, open our hearts this morning and our ears to your voice and all that Henry has to bring to us, Father, would it be uh, your voice and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Becky. Great. Happy New Year to you. Good to see you. Are you listening? Yes. Are you listening? That is how Jesus started the reading that we had. Why did he start like that? Because he was about to blow their minds. Now, Chris, who has just scarpered somewhere, um, shame on him. (laughs) Uh, Chris, last week, complained that I gave him the blessings and the woes in, uh, in Luke 5 and kept to myself the, uh, the section on love, saying that I got the easy passage. Are you joking, Chris? This is not an easy passage. This teaching has caused more discussion and debate than Any other teaching of Jesus. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who ill-treat you. 
to understand how radical Jesus' teaching here is, we need to know the background. We need to know the received wisdom of the day, which was love your enemies. No, sorry, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. That was the received wisdom. Um, It's not in the Bible. The love your neighbors part is in the Bible, but the hate your enemies isn't. But it was a saying around uh, in Jesus' day, so much so that actually Jesus quoted it in uh, Matthew 6. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the normal uh, response uh, back then. It's the normal response today. Hollywood is full of goody and baddie um, movies, isn't it? You know, and, and we know who we are meant to love and who we are meant to hate in those movies. Uh, po- popular culture is full of uh, revenge stories. Uh, revenge movies, you think of Gladiator or Dark Knight Rises or Kill Bill or The Godfather or Gangs of New York. They're all revenge movies in different ways. And we love them, don't we? We love them because the underdog is getting their own back. They're getting justice. It just feels right to us. And we've been seeing it, of course, played out in international politics as well. Uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, conducts an extrajudicial killing uh, of General Qasem uh, Soleimani. And I'm not uh, um, making any judgment on the rights and wrongs of that. Then Iran uh, does the retaliation, 22 missiles uh, hitting uh, bases in retaliation, and in the middle of that, we get a terrible, terrible tragedy of a, uh, the Ukrainian Flight 752 uh, shot down by a missile. And, of course, we all hold our breath for what's going to happen next. Revenge. It's the mood in society. Society wants revenge. They want comeback. Um, And into that context, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who ill-treat you. There's no justice in this, is there? There's nothing fair about Jesus' command to us here. It's so countercultural. Many people have got um, Christian ethics completely the wrong way round. Uh, what you hear so much of is that the heart of Christian ethics is a kind of negative teaching. They say, you know, the heart of it is what we must not do. You know, you mustn't do this. You mustn't do that. You mustn't uh, have sex with so-and-so. You mustn't lie. You mustn't drink. You mustn't smoke. You mustn't take drugs. You mustn't have fun. You, You mustn't do anything. It's all no, no, no. 
But that's not what Christian ethics is principally about. Because Christian ethics is principally a positive, not a negative. It's about doing things rather than not doing things. You probably have heard of what is called the golden rule. Um, It's a phrase that was originally coined by Jesus and it first appears in our reading in Luke 6, 31. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Uh, It's called the golden rule. And interestingly, it has been adopted by the humanists. Uh, Humanists, of course, are uh, atheists. Uh, The organization who represents humanism in Britain is called Humanists UK. And Humanists UK promote the golden rule. On their website, uh, they say that the rule evolved naturally. Apparently, they are unaware that it didn't do anything of the sort. It was taught by Jesus. I do find it incredibly ironic that the humanists, Humanists UK, are unwittingly following the teaching of Jesus. I think I quite like that. The golden rule does have counterparts in uh, other teachings, but they are always phrased in the negative. So Rabbi Hillel says, what is hateful to you, do not to another. Uh, Isocrates says, what things make you angry, Do not you do to other people. The Stoics said, What you do not wish uh, to be done to yourself, do not do to any other. And Confucius says, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. You see, it's all over the place, but it's always in the negative. What is unique about Jesus' teaching and, of course, what makes it so challenging is that it's in the positive. Do something. Get out there and do good. Go and find people to love. Even the hateful people. Jesus goes on to illustrate uh, the point. He says, if someone uh, slaps you on the cheek, turn the other side to them. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. This is really practical, isn't it? I remember... um, uh, on a trip to Kenya, I was up 
uh, in kind of mid-North Kenya in a very poor area. Uh, and I was going to a confirmation service with the bishop who had invited me, and he'd asked me to preach at the confirmation service. And before uh, the service, the bishop who was quite an inspirational character, was preparing the confirmation candidates. And he was marching up and down like a caged tiger. Um, And he was looking at each of the confirmation candidates in the eyes. And he said, now that you're saying you want to be a Christian, that means that you have to love those who don't love you. And if someone takes your coat, you have to give them your shirt as well. And I looked at these poor people and I realized that for them, that means giving all their clothes. I mean, they would only have one coat and one shirt. Everything. To someone who hates you. Chris, you think this is an easy passage? <laughs> God. Now, uh, Jesus is not teaching that we should allow everyone to just ride roughshod over us. What if you are in an abusive relationship? What if you are mugged in the street? Let me explain a bit of background here. Walter Wink, in his book, Jesus and Nonviolence, A Third Way, uh, pointed out uh, that with regard to turning the other cheek, Uh, This was referring to where Roman soldiers was with their right hand would come and they would slap someone with the back of their hand like that. Uh, And slapping someone in the back with the back of your hand indicated uh, that they were uh, scum. Basically, they were beneath you. They were not your equal. If that person then turned the other cheek, the soldier would have to hit you with the palm of his hand or with his fist. And all of a sudden you're in a fight between equals. And then uh, if you think of uh, giving your shirt to the mugger who's got your coat... Uh, Under civil law at the time, uh, a coat could be confiscated for non-payment of debt. Now, for a poor person, the coat often uh, doubled as a blanket at night. Uh, And the only other garment that a peasant in Jesus' day would have was uh, what was called a cloak. It was an undergarment. And so if they take your cloak as well as your coat, it's like you strip naked. And it's as if you are saying to them, look at the injustice that the system is doing to me. And what is more, 
that in that culture, nakedness was a shame to those who observed it. And so here we have Jesus actually teaching a form of subversive resistance in that. But that's not his main point. And I don't want to get overly distracted from his main point. The main point that Jesus is making here is that we are to love those who don't love us. And this is hard. This is hard. If I'm honest, in my own life, there have been relatively few people who I could genuinely call my enemies. There are, there have been and still are plenty of people who are quite difficult to love, but that's a different thing. Um, there have been relatively few people who have been antagonistically against me, who have been just wanting to pull me down, wanting the worst for me. Uh, only a few of them. But there have been a few. There have been a few. And so my mind turns to them. How did I get on with loving them? And if I'm honest, not always terribly well. I certainly tried, but it's pretty hard, isn't it? This is hard teaching. I want just you to take one or two minutes out and talk to the person next to you. And I'm assuming that the person next to you is not in the category of your enemy, the person who <laughs> hates you and is antagonistic <laughs> against you. Um, uh, and think of those people in your life who have been really nasty to you. And the question for you is, how do you think Jesus would respond in your situation? Just chat amongst yourselves for a moment. That's a hard question, isn't it? But one that Jesus is asking. How would Jesus have responded in your situation? Okay, you'll have to carry on that conversation in Maidonez uh, later on uh, with Chris, okay? Um, It's pretty hard, this, isn't it? It's pretty hard teaching by Jesus. Uh, Let let me come to your rescue and uh, perhaps give you uh, some little help here. In uh, ancient Greek language, there is not uh, one word for love, but four. And there's a famous book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves. Uh, The first of those loves is the word agape. And it refers to a kind of selfish love. It's it's, um, defined as unconquerable benevolence. it's not based on feelings. It's an, it's an active love. It's about what you do. It's about going out and seeking the best for someone. 
irrespective of who they are or what they've done. It's the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated to us when he hung on a cross for us. An active love for people who didn't deserve it. Agape. The second love is uh, eros. This is romantic love or sexual love. Now, uh, uh, if you walk through Piccadilly Circus, um, I went uh, through Piccadilly Circus on Friday, uh, you will see that there is a statue in the middle of uh, Piccadilly Circus, which is often called Eros. It's... uh, uh, Eros was uh, the uh, Greek god of uh, romance and sex. The Latin v- uh, equivalent is Cupid. Now, actually, Sir Alfred Gilbert, who was the sculptor of that sculpture, uh, intended it to depict Anteros, who is Eros's brother in Greek mythology. Um, But anyway, it's usually associated with romantic or sexual love. There is Eros with his bow and arrow. He's shooting these love darts. But that statue is actually a memorial to Lord Shaftesbury, the great Victorian um, social reformer and philanthropist who did so much to change the lot of desperately poor children uh, in the teeth of quite severe opposition. And so actually that statue probably should have been of someone else and maybe should have been called Agape. The third uh, Greek word for love is storge. Storge or family love. This is the... uh, The love that you get within a close-knit, loving family. You know, that kind of love of uh, total acceptance, unconditional love that you have in a family where you just accept one another and love one another uh, no matter how naughty you are. And then the fourth of the words is philia, uh, which is friendship love. Um, Usually the example given is between David and Jonathan. You know, that incredible, strong, brotherly bond between people who are not necessarily immediate uh, relatives, uh, but they're really close friends, buddies, four loves. Um, Now, in our passage, Jesus is using the first of those four words. He's using agape. Uh, We are called to agape our enemies. Just like Jesus did, actually. You remember Romans 5 verse 8 says, While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, we were still his enemies, Christ died for us, Romans 5, verse 8. Now remember that agape, agape love, is not based on feelings. It's an active love. It's about what we do. 
So just as there are different categories of love, different types of love, they apply to different people in our lives. Um, Different types of love for different people. So we're not being asked to love our enemies in the way that we love our partners. We couldn't possibly love our enemies like we love our partners because, you know, when romance comes in, we fall in love. We can't help ourselves, can we? It's like we're out of control. You know, it's almost nothing to do with us. It just bursts in. It's a kind of madness that comes over us uh, as we fall in love. No, we're not asked to love our enemies like that. Nor are we being asked to love our enemies like we love our family. That kind of completely unconditional, utterly accepting love that you have within a family, a mother for her child. No, we're not asked to love our enemies like that. Nor are we asked to love our enemies like we love our friends. You know, those we get on with, those we, we click with, those who we have loads in common with. We'll, we, we are like them and we like them. Incidentally, I think those, those last two categories are family, that kind of love, the storge love, and our friends, the filia love. I think that's the love that perhaps should be expressed in the church. You know, the church can be a family. There, you know, there are many people in the church where the bonds of love between us within the, fa- within the church are like a family. There's that kind of complete acceptance of each other. And then the church can also be a place of friendships. You know, that wonderful brotherly love, uh, those connections with people. Because after all, we have so much in common. Our faith, the very heart of our lives, we all share in common. So there's this foundation in our lives that we all hold together. We have something in unity. And so we come together with people of like mind. And there's that brotherly friendship love between us. So I think those middle two ones are what we express in the church. Storge and filia. We want to do that, don't we? We want to love each other, care for each other, accept one another, be friends with one another. But we're not being asked to love our enemies like that. We're not even being asked to like our enemies. No, we're being asked to do something much more difficult. We're going to, being asked to actively seek out the best for someone who is seeking the worst for us. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. 
Jesus is not asking for us to have loving feelings towards those who hate us. No, he's asking us to do loving actions to them. Now, I'm not saying that for me personally, I've always managed to do that. Um, But we're called to have a go. Jesus knows that in many ways it's much harder than loving your partner or loving your family or loving your friends or loving the church. And he says as much in verses 32 to 34. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you go out, uh, go to those who are good to you, are good to those who are good to you. What credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? Even sinners lend to sinners. Now, Jesus isn't asking us to do that to our friends and our family. He's asking us to love someone who doesn't love us, someone who's actively against us. To love knowing That you're not going to get anything in return. What could you do this next week? What act of love could you do? Knowing that there is no possibility of getting anything in return. Because you're doing it for somebody who is absolutely against you. You know that. Guy at work who just makes your life hell. What could you do for him to bless him and love him? That woman who's just constantly trying to pull you down. What could you do for her to love her, affirm her, bless her? You're not going to get anything in return. Perhaps you're not even going to get a grudging thanks. How do you go out and agape him or her? You up for going and doing that this week? You're not as enthusiastic as you were at the beginning of the service. (laughs) Go do it, church. Jesus told us to. Shall we pray? Why don't you stand? You've sat down for a little while. Oh, Lord Jesus, you don't make it easy for us. We need your help. We need the help of your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and change us that we would go out and love those who hate us, bless those who curse us, do good to those who do good to to do bad to us. Pray for those who ill-treat us. Lord, give us the grace to love those the way you loved us. Amen.